This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today's topic is financial changes when you lose a spouse. With me today, I have financial planner Julie Chadwick. And Julie, I, I know that losing a spouse would be one of the most devastating things that can happen. What's the first thing that you would need to tell somebody about the financial changes that they're going to go through when they've lost a spouse? Well, first of all, before you even dive into that stuff, obviously, like you said, it's a traumatic experience mm-hmm. and it's you know something hard to deal with. So there's so many things that are going to come forward right away. And the first thing I would say is just take a deep breath. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> take a deep breath because yep. there are going to be a lot of changes and you don't want to dive into them all at once. It can be very, very overwhelming. So take a deep breath and just kind of start laying things out and lining things out as far as what you need to do and the steps you have to take. One of the things that I know to be true from working with people who've lost a spouse is that even if you know it's coming, like even if there's been a prolonged illness, once it's happened, it's different. doesn't even matter that you knew about it. What you think you're prepared for, you're maybe not so prepared for. And people tend to be in a sort of a fog and not always even know that they're in it. So decision-making capabilities are muted. And so that's why they say don't make any major decisions within, say, 30 days after losing a spouse or having a big loss like that. Um, but what I see is that there are a handful of things that you do need to do in the short term. But some of the bigger, more major decisions really can wait for quite some time until you are out of that fog and kind of back on your feet a little bit. Where you could really make, you know... Good judgmental decisions. So, yeah. absolutely. So, so if any financial advisor is pushing you to make big changes or big decisions shortly after a loss, that should be a huge red flag that they're really not looking necessarily out for your best interest. They might be looking out for their own. Because we do have to recognize that <laughs> this is a traumatic time for people. And there's only certain steps that have to be taken in the short term. Right. One of the first things you probably want to do is locate all the um, important financial documents, mm-hmm. you know, your life insurance policies, um, um, any kind of estate documents, wills, that type of thing. You're going to want to um, figure out what the changes in taxes are going to be. That, the, you know, Social Security filing things, those are all going to be things that you have to have, you know, something done with them. So it's just getting those in order first, locating everything first, and then really deciding what needs to be done first. So here's a little tip for those of of you who have a friend or a loved one who's lost a spouse is helping them find and gather this documentation would be a very nice gesture. Um, it's not you being nosy, it's just you helping. So like Julie said, the list of things that you really want to get together is finding the will and any other estate planning documents, gathering the insurance policy information. You need to find the bank statements so that you understand where all the bank accounts are and any investment statements like brokerages, stocks or bond statements, retirement accounts, things like that. If there's deeds, like deeds to the house um, or deeds to property, titles to cars, things like that, if those pieces of property are held jointly or in one spouse's name, you have to find that information. Right. One thing a lot of times people don't think of is the marriage certificate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's something that you probably haven't thought of for many, many, many years, depending on how long you've been married. And that's something that you're going to need for a lot of these documents to get them updated. So that's yep. something that you're going to have to dig out too. 
And then you're going to need the deceased person's social security number handy. Uh, a lot of times, there's a lot of times you're going to have to write down that number. Right. Almost so, all the information that you're going to have to update is going to require that. Yep. Okay, the second thing that I want to say is that you are going to need more copies of the death certificate than you realize. So a lot of times people think, oh, I just need three or four. And the reality is that anymore, a lot of different companies want an original. So we normally recommend that people get anywhere between 10 to 12 to start with. They take some time to get. And if it's going to hold up processing like an insurance claim or getting money put into your own name, then you're better off just having more than you need than less than you need. Right. Instead, some people uh, will try and send in maybe a copy. Maybe if it wasn't specified or they didn't read the form right, they send in a copy and then it's just going to get rejected. And again, that's just going to set you, get you behind the eight ball. So. Yep, exactly. The next thing that we would recommend that you do when you've lost your spouse is set up some type of communications tracking or filing system. So you can keep track of who you've called from a financial standpoint, like have you called this insurance company yet? Have you reported the death? Have you started the death claim? And then somewhere where you can keep notes about what's happening with that. Um, In fact, Julie was just working with a client whose parent had money with a different firm. And that firm was telling them things they could do with these accounts and they weren't necessarily all accurate right? (laughs) for one thing, but they weren't giving them advice on what would be appropriate. Like how can you reduce or avoid immediate taxation on this? How can you stretch it out over time? Right. So keeping good notes about the communication that you receive is really important. So you know where you're at in the process with each particular thing. It's also important to write down who you've talked to and who told you what, because a lot Mm -hmm. of times you'll have to go back and say, I spoke to this person and I got this information. So just keeping track of that. Plus then you can also just check off the things that you've actually done. um, And then you kind of know those things that you still have to do yet. It's a good way to kind of put everything all in one place too. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of see what you're really dealing with. Because a lot of times that uh, the tax taxation and the financial aspect is going to change quite a bit. And to know what to do with all that once you get these claims processed is going to be the next decision that you got to make. Yep. Now, another thing that we think is important to do short term is really seek professional advice because you need to settle the estate and you're going to need to file some tax returns and you're going to need to figure out what to do with any investments that are out there. So that is going to probably require communication with an attorney, a CPA, and a financial advisor. And those can be exhausting conversations to have when you're already kind of in that brain fog space and in the this is the last thing you really want to deal with. It's kind of just something you have to get done. So instead of trying to do it yourself or interpret law or taxes or anything like that, <laughs> it's better just to seek advice from somebody you trust that can help walk you through the process on everything. Right. Like Mary said, the person that I was dealing with had to come in and they had been talking to their CPA and they had been talking to different uh, insurance people and they were getting all kinds of advice from different places, but none of it was really tied together to what's in the best interest of that client. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being that that client was a client of ours, we knew their whole financial picture and could give them a lot clearer advice. So it helped out to kind of bring it all together. Yep, exactly. All right. One of the other things that you're going to want to try to do within the first couple of months following a loss is to adjust or apply for any benefits. So Social Security is probably the first one that most people attack. And that's because if you've been married, What you have to remember is that the smaller of your two Social Security checks is going to stop. 
Mm-hmm. And it stops once that death occurs. So if you don't report it for three months, then they would have paid out Social Security that you need to pay back. <laughs> That's not fun. <laughs> We're no. never like having to pay back. <laughs> exactly. So you're going to want to contact the Social Security office to see what your benefits are going forward and how they have to be restructured. But generally speaking, you keep the larger of the two checks. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the big financial changes that occurs when you lose a spouse is that you immediately lose the income stream of one of the Social Security checks, the smaller one. Right. So understanding how that is going to impact you is a really big thing that you're going to need to be able to tackle and to understand how are you going to adjust to that. Yep. And then the same thing goes with the pensions. If your spouse has a pension, you have to contact the pension company to find out whether or not a spousal benefit will continue and get it moved over into your name. Otherwise, you'll have the same issue with potentially needing to pay back a pension and you know, letting that go for too long is kind of an illegal thing. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing is with employers, a lot of people know that, you know, you notify your employer, Mm -hmm. but it's what they don't think about is all the benefits that the employer was offering. They might have different life insurance benefits that you never knew about that maybe the company was offering, things like that. But also, you know, if health insurance and those types of things are going to transfer over, Mm -hmm. those are something that you need to get in contact with that person or that, you know, that uh, HR department and stuff. And along with the employee benefits that might be there for life insurance would just be general life insurance mm-hmm. in, in on its own right? of whether your spouse had a life insurance policy. And we're going to talk a little bit later on in the show about how to figure out if your life or if your spouse had a life insurance policy, if you're unsure about that. Um, but applying for these benefits is a step in the process that you're going to want to get started on. The, the next thing that we think that needs to be done is updating account names. And that's a big change that happens because a lot of times spouses will have joint accounts. And so one of the changes that you have to make is getting them into your own name, which there's, there's where you need the death certificate, the <laughs> right. social security number. I mean, you have a lot of information that you need to go take care of those things. Doesn't matter how many years you can be married and no matter how well, maybe you know your banker, they're still going to have to have those documents yes. to be able to update everything. So yeah, you can't exactly. just change it on your wishes. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Now, one of the things that is probably the least fun to do is that you do have to then evaluate kind of what your short-term expenses are going to be. So your normal expenses are going to be there, and those might be a little easier to figure out. Um, If you are a person who did not handle any of the finances, this will be a more difficult step for you. But if you're someone who regularly handled the money, you know, the day-to-day finances don't change a tremendous amount. Um, But what does change in from a short-term expense standpoint is you're going to have some bills come in from the funeral service, from the, you know, flowers, from the luncheon with the funeral, I mean, different things like that. You're going to have the final expenses bills start coming in. And that's part of what we mean by evaluate the short-term expenses is how are you going to pay for that? Do you have cash set aside to cover it? Will it need to get paid by life insurance proceeds? You know, what is it that you're going to use? What asset will you use to cover that? Right. So just to be able to evaluate what things need to be paid right away and what things you can maybe postpone or get extensions on as far as, you know, Mm -hmm. extend that out for 30 days or something like that. But just to evaluate what things are going to have to be done right away. Right. 
And along with that then is making sure you have access to appropriate credit. So if your credit cards have been in a joint name, you might have to close them and get one in a your single name. Mm-hmm. It often depends on whose name was listed first on the account. Right. If sometimes those joint accounts just get completely shut down, but if your name was listed first, then they may be able to continue with that card. Otherwise, you've got to get new credit cards. Right. I actually had a client who um, a fraud, a fraudulent case was you know, flagged on their card because it was a husband and wife card and the husband was deceased. And so she continued using the card. Uh-huh. Well, they had known that <laughs> he was deceased, so they flagged it. Well, ah, sure. it was the widow using it. So, yep. but she did end up having to close it, but it was kind of an inconvenience because she wasn't yep. prepared for that. Yep. And she was actually out using the card out of and town. And it's one so. more thing to think about right. that you have to do that's not so fun to do. So you want to plan for that instead of having to do it at the last minute or when you're out traveling and needing to use that card. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a lot of things that we talked about. And those really are the more short-term things that really need to be handled within about three months from a loss. It's a lot to process and a lot to go through in there. Um, but you do need to go at your own pace, although these are the things that need to get done. But anything beyond that needs to be on a timeline that you're ready to handle, not somebody else's timeline for you. Mm-hmm. So those are all the things that you want to consider. And you don't want to cave into pressure to sell or give away your loved one's things. You can take all the time that you want to to handle those kind of things. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about financial changes when you lose a spouse. We've talked about the things that you need to be willing to take steps to proactively change. Um, In the first half of the show, you know, what are all the different accounts and and issues that you have to take care of? But now I want to talk about something that you don't have any control over and, and something that sneaks up on people that they don't realize. And that's how losing a spouse completely and totally changes your tax picture. Right. And that's something that you don't have control over. And it's not something you have probably planned for or even really thought about how that will affect you. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. It's a significant point in someone's life. So when you are married and filing jointly, you have one set of tax brackets. And when you're single and filing on your own, you have a different set of tax brackets. And they call it the marriage penalty. Um, well, it's it's not it being unmarried is the penalty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in any event, the tax brackets are higher for somebody who's an individual. You hit a higher bracket sooner. Um, you also, um, when you lose a Social Security check, not all of Social Security is taxed. So if you're going to replace that income with something else that is taxed, now all of a sudden you have more taxable income. So let me just give you a scenario so you understand why we're talking about this. It's such a big deal. So let's say you're married and you're filing a joint tax return and you're over 65 years old. And the husband's Social Security income is $20,000 a year and the wife's is ten, dollars And they're taking an IRA distribution of $30,000. So the total income coming into the home is sixty dollars 30 is from Social Security. 30 is from their retirement accounts. In that scenario, with today's standard deductions, the total federal tax due on that whole 60000 is only $988 a year. Not too bad. Really, it's not too bad. Right. Now, let's say that the husband passes away, and you're going to keep that higher of the two Social Security, so you've got 20000 instead of 30000 of Social Security. 
So you increase your retirement distributions from 30000 up to 40000 to keep that total income at the same level, 60000 So the only difference here is that the 10000 instead of coming from Social Security, is coming from retirement assets, and now you're in a single tax bracket. Well, Julie, instead of $988 of federal tax due, how much taxes due is on that same 60000 when you're single? It's increased by quite a bit, $5,357. It went from $988 to over $5,000 for the exact same dollars coming into the home. That's a 442% increase. (laughs) (laughs) This is a little slice of crazy. (laughs) So this is why it's such a big deal to realize how this can impact you. Exactly. Yep. And so like you said, you know, you're you're changing, you're still taking that same amount, but it had to come from a taxable source. Yep where the Social Security was, it all being taxed. So that's where people don't think. They say, well, I can just get that same amount and I'm going to be okay. Yeah, and it's because the single bracket single is bracket. a higher bracket. So you have to understand that when you are no longer married and if you don't have any dependent children anymore and your bracket changes that significantly, that is an additional, you know, that's almost $4,000 more in cost for taxes. And, and that is an ugly surprise that will happen. So please be aware that that is a big piece of what changes. Now, once you've addressed the short-term picture, um, then you kind of move on to the longer-term picture. But before we get to that longer-term picture, I just want to give a little piece of advice for people if they're trying to figure out if their deceased spouse actually had any life insurance. Right. A lot of times we hear clients come in and say, I thought I was done with everything. I thought I had it. And I got a notice um, from someone about maybe some other life insurance policy or some other, you know, investment that they had. So those things sometimes have ways of creeping up way later. Yeah. And life insurance policy, sometimes you don't get the premium notice except for once a year. Mm -hmm. And so people find out, you know, almost a year later that there was life insurance and they didn't realize that they had it. So if you're not sure if your spouse had life insurance, then the first call to make would be to any insurance agents or financial advisors you have to see if they know about anything. Because a lot of times when somebody working with the finance side of things like that's a question we're always asking people is you know do you have life insurance and if so where is it and we keep that in the records for when we're doing planning with people right just have an accounting of everything so you understand what they have right yeah so whether that policy is done through our office or not we generally would know if somebody had life insurance so that should be your first call If they don't know, then checking in with the lawyer, the accountant, something like that would be the next stop in your journey to figure out whether or not they had some. Um, And then going and talking to their auto and home insurance uh, agents, because the auto and home insurance agents frequently will try to sell life insurance too. So there may be some kind of obscure policy that is connected to that agent that you didn't realize was out there. Right. Again, it's sometimes those are just like buried in the policies and you don't know it or, you know, they're, you might have even paid the premiums on that and not even know because it's built in with so many different other things. Yep. And Julie mentioned earlier, if they're still employed, talking to the employer to see if there's any group life insurance. So mm-hmm. you can talk to the HR department there. But the other thing that you want to think about is um, looking through any canceled checks over the course of the last year, 
looking for any automatic payments that might be coming out of a bank account or looking on credit card statements to see if anything is getting paid to an insurance company that's not one that you recognize. Then you can follow up with those companies to see what the payment was for. Mm -hmm. So it's not the insurance company's obligation to tell you that there was coverage. It's your obligation to report a death and then make a claim. So those are just some ways to find out whether or not your deceased spouse did have insurance. Okay, so moving ahead with the big picture, once you kind of have your feet back on the ground, some of the other things that you're going to need to think about that are financial changes is you're probably going to need a new set of estate documents yourself. Right, you have to update everything. (laughs) Yeah, you'll update your will, your power of attorney, your healthcare power of attorney, and things like that. And that's no fun to do the first time with your spouse, so it's definitely not (laughs) fun to do on your own. But it is something that is going to be important to do you know, when when you get your feet back on the ground. That is not a short-term thing that has to be done immediately, though. Right. That's something that can be done down the road. Again, like we said, after you get your feet on the ground and then figuring out what all needs, you know, what's the big picture. Yep. Now, another thing you'll want to do is make sure you update your beneficiary listings. So your beneficiary listings are probably still to your deceased spouse. So at some point in time, you need to update all of those and get them changed on any financial accounts. Right. The last thing that we always like, you know, we don't ever want to run into is beneficiaries that aren't updated. So Mm -hmm. if someone had a spouse that passed away and they never changed the beneficiaries, they might not have had a contingent beneficiary on there. So that's just going to create something that's going to have to go through probate. Now, one of the things eventually that will need to be done is investments to be realigned into your strategy. And if there was life insurance proceeds for you to figure out what to do, how to invest those proceeds. But if anybody, like we have said earlier, is pushing you to make those decisions, and that should be a red flag, you can develop a holding tank for estate money where you can have low fee management, um, or it can be an accommodation account where maybe there's no fee on it until you decide what to do that makes a little bit better interest than maybe what your bank is. Um, But in any event, you are going to eventually have to make those investment decisions. So working with someone that you trust and have a strong level of connection with is going to be your best option. Right, because you might have to first start off with like figuring out your budget. What's your new monthly budget going to be mm-hmm. and, and expenses to figure out? Are you know are you going to need some of that money immediately? Is that going to be built into part of your you know daily living and it, you know expenses, or is that something that can be put away for later? So all of these things that we've talked about are the financial changes that happen when you lose a spouse, and we hope this has been valuable information to help you or somebody that you care about through a time in their life that is already incredibly difficult. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Stirk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, 
Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555. 